You're listening to Creative Voices, sponsored by Treebark Story. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Creative Voices. Thanks for joining us once again, guys. And as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew. Who's Andrew? I don't know. <laughs> He's this other guy. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, if if we keep doing this, uh, you know, oh, I'm joined by Andrew, uh, yeah. the introduction to everything. I'm just going to throw curveballs at you every time. Jeff, okay, no worries. I'm not joined by Andrew. Andrew is always here. Yeah, and omnipresent, <laughs> yeah. if you will. <laughs> He's like Harvey Rabbit or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking God, but fair enough. Yeah, yeah, we go at Harvey Rabbit. Okay. All right, okay. So, um, last week we touched on the housing crisis in Ireland and Irigi and so forth. And as ever, we just thought maybe we'd pair it off with something a, l- a little bit easier to, to, to listen to, or at least something that is also an interesting topic, but maybe not as dense for right now. So, um, <laughs> cheery, cheery, cheery. Yeah, cheery. <laughs> So I, I've been talking to Andrew and something that was popping into my mind and that kind of intrigues me is something that has come up quite a lot in conversations I feel over the last kind of couple of years. And this is this kind of concept that you hear people talking about of like separating art from the artist. Yep. And what that means both in a historical sense and where they came from and then where where we are now in a world and how, how do we pair with that. So I guess what got me thinking about this is that, you know, as ever, everything moves so fast these days and as we're in this, this unprecedented time. Yeah, right? Your favourite phrase. It's like, where do we go with some of this? Like, how many celebrities and artists and musicians... Um, prime example, Ryan Adams. <laughs> Not Brian, Ryan Adams. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm sure Ryan Adams has probably mentioned some dodgy stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know... Why, did Ryan Adams come out with something? Oh, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, did you not hear? Man, where have you been? I don't know. I don't think I'm as, like, down with the kids. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Christ, it must be, like, nearly two years ago now. So there was basically, like, um, a whole bunch of young female musicians who essentially said that, like, Ryan Adams, like, more oh, or less. another one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big time. Oh, shit. Oh, big time. No, I didn't. Have I just ruined his that. music for you? No, I, I don't think. I, I didn't really listen I never to his music much anyway. No, but I don't really know his music much anyway, but... Yeah. Oh shit, he's another one. Wow. Yeah, fucking... yeah, no, a huge, to a huge extent. Um, I, oh, I can't remember which which young artist it was, but basically, like, there was a lot of, like, the, the particular issue was one girl who was quite young, who was, like, 16 or 17, and there was right. a lot of, like, you know, I'll help you get famous if type scenarios. The Weinstein thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, which seems somewhat acceptable from a sleazy old man like Harvey Weinstein. Not acceptable, but shall we say... Predictable, almost. Predictable, sorry, yeah. yeah. Definitely not acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just be clear. What I meant was, you know, you expect, expect it, not accept it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know, like, Ryan Adams being the darling of the indie music world and all that kind of stuff and yeah. all, the, all the things he did, you know, you, you go, ah, oh, shite. <laughs> it's funny, and I know it's not the topic that we're, we're discussing here, but it just begs the question, it's like, does everyone who reaches a certain level of influence and power inevitably become a creep? Yeah, you know, it's it's just it it's you know throw a dart into the room. Yeah, well, I mean, don't literally, metaphorically, <laughs> yeah. figuratively, throw a dart into the room, and you're almost certain to hit someone who's some sort of a creep in, yeah. in this know, day yeah. and age. Like, does no one just become you know? It's like Woody Allen and the latest drop. Docu- yeah. Have you seen start of that documentary? No, but I heard mention of it. Yeah, start of that's kind of anyway. Sorry, you were saying, Jeff. Uh, oh yeah, well, it was just like there's so much. Which is emerging, and then, like, you know, we're in, in the post-Me Too world. Yeah. Um, 
then with the the BLM protests, with the tearing down lots of statues, we saw obviously like we were all aware of some of this behavior, but to be confronted with the likes of the realities of people like who some of these actual historical figures were, yeah, you know, what do we do now going forward when it's so easy to know? what the reality of some people's behavior is and with the chance that more of that will emerge. What do we do when you encounter a situation where, and I think it's particularly interesting if it's art, and I know when I say art in this scenario, I mean, it could mean music, it could mean a book, whatever. Yeah. Something that maybe has personally influenced or been a big part of your life and then you find out that the person who created it and perhaps the message you thought was in there is not the case at all based on who they are as a person. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one because... I've often had uh, arguments about this with with my partner, with Sinead, mm. who's... So, I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to contemporary art and stuff. Sinead's mm. really... That's what she studied and it's what she knows. And mm. my main complaint has always been, but what is it that they have tried to say and explicitly yeah. said, this is what I want to say, and that I can then hold them accountable to? Okay. Because I kind of feel like a so lot of... You don't believe in the autonomy of art, then? <laughs> Not... I don't know. Like, I've become far less... I've become far less uh, tied to any... Anything when it comes... Or it's not my sphere. Yeah, right? yeah, It's yeah. not... So, and I've kind of just accepted that. <laughs> just kind of, you know, when it comes to appreciating um, creativity in, in shapes and forms, I kind of... I defer to someone I know, like Sinead, or, you know, like yourself, or, you know, whoever you've interviewed in the podcast before i can listen to them happily and you yeah. know but you know the one thing that kept like my background's in in writing and it's what i studied and it was actually it was playwriting was the first thing i studied before screenwriting came along and i remember going this by way of example of what i mean right was yeah. i went to go and see a theater production and the name of the company eludes me now god i wish i could remember it it was a beautiful production in terms of the the stage sets and um, the choreography and performance. It was basically, it was a cross section of like an apartment block on stage. Yeah. And he had like a, an elderly, elderly woman sat watching the TV up on the top, right. And then in the bottom two, in the bottom floor, there was uh, two uh, separate apartment spaces and people interacting in between them. Um, now I can't remember quite how the story kind of loosely developed, but it went from, by the way, it was all unspoken. There was just music and sounds. There was no, okay. well, there was literally, yeah, no uh, dialogue whatsoever. Yeah. People just doing stuff. And we were kind of watching as like outsiders watching and, and looking in. And then as the story progressed, it got more and more surreal. And bits of foliage started slowly kind of appearing in the corners of the rooms. Yeah. And then suddenly there were people in monkey suits just showed up and... And I thought, this looks, visually, this is stunning. Yeah, this yeah. is really, really clever. Yeah. But following this, there was a QA, a Q&A with, yeah. um, with the cast and the director and whatever. And I, you know, it's kind of hard to get me to shut up at the best of times. So I asked a question and said to the, and I said, look, loved it, great work and everything. But I'm just wondering, and I know this was a kind of a collaborative piece and whatever, but was there some sort of narrative that you kind of all agreed upon or like touch points or something that yeah, you agreed. Yeah. And the guy kind of laughed and said, Oh, we didn't want to impose our 
uh, ultimate kind of message on us, whatever. I'm like, no, no, I get that. It's like it's open to interpretation from the audience, yada, yada, yada. But did you guys, to help you navigate? And he's yeah, like, yeah. well, I knew that we wanted to have monkeys in it. <laughs> and that just decimated it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> like Day he- one, he wrote down, note monkeys yeah <laughs> that's it just developed from there i mean this was like you know a couple of months into my i was at university of glasgow and, uh doing playwriting and dramaturgy and you know it was like a month two months in or whatever and like my mental note was maybe this isn't for me yeah because yeah, yeah. <laughs> this had been recommended to us as yeah, well yeah, yeah, yeah. i was like what the f-? and so anyway bottom line uh i kind of feel like unless like the author or the director or the musician or whatever has to kind of say well there's something to it yeah that i'm trying to say that you yeah. can then hold it up and go well you succeeded or not and that's what makes a good artist you yeah, know yeah. what you're trying to say is conveyed yeah, yeah or not and then you know yeah no i i suppose that and that's part of what i'm kind of getting at is like you know this comes back to i think we discussed earlier on before about like that concept initially of what the whole separating art from the artist was the idea of, and I think it was um, T.S. Eliot who said that I have assumed as axiomatic that a creation, a work of art is autonomous. Hmm. <laughs> and like, it's funny, like that was like 1920s, whatever. And that, that kind of mindset didn't last very long. And then postmodernism and whatever came along. But I guess that that's one aspect. Yeah. Um, what they are talking about there is literally the structure of, you know, art must stand in its own right whatever form it takes and it was an interesting concept where I read that said you know the author is dead where it's like the mm. book is created every time someone reads it and it, it is whatever you want from it I think it was Derrida I think who said the yeah. author is dead yeah and that kind of concept of it'll be whatever it is to you and that's the value of it and so forth but I guess more the message here is just like that's fine until the person who's created that has done something that we can't separate ourselves from. Yeah. You know, you're confronted by the reality of it and it's like, what do we do these days to reconcile? Like, okay, you've seen in the last few years how some certain movies might have been removed from certain services because it turns out that the person who was in them was, you know, involved. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, Kevin Spacey being written out of mm-hmm. House of Cards, yeah. you know. But, do we stop to do we stop enjoying it because of that? I mean, does it change the message for us? Like, see, I don't know that you can. I don't know that you could. It's not like you can legislate about yeah. how this is. So this is all. It's always well, it's pure speculative here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. all, always on, only ever going to be subjective. Mm. I'd imagine. I don't know if there you can you can say to artists and viewers and whatever. Well, this is how you should be feeling about it. Of course, mm. but so in in other words. You know, I can only speak personally and say that uh, every Kevin Spacey production now has been a little bit marred for me. Right. And I can't. Separ- I can't. But he's been in some really good films. And you're has. like, damn it, like, you know. I know. I know. He has. And it really, really dis. Although some part of me kind of thought there was always something a little bit strange about him. Yeah. Because he, he, he was always caught doing things and pretending he was doing something. Like he was, he was, once he was, he was picked up or caught in a cruising area. Yeah, in LA, I think it was, and he was like pretending that he was doing research for, for a role or something. And Man, I was that's like, such a great excuse as an actor, isn't oh, it? Come. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was like, just listen it's for my new scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's this really funny, just 
<laughs> there's this funny thing in I think it's Desperate Housewives there's a funny exchange between like a mother and her gay son yeah. and like she says something to him like uh, listen you're here you're queer I'm used to it yeah. like, like no one cares anymore <laughs> yeah. okay you're gay just say you're yeah, gay yeah. like don't pretend otherwise but anyway um, but the yeah just the so I always found him a bit odd but then when he heard like when oh shit what's his name now the uh, can you tell what it is yet <laughs> uh, Rolf Harris oh yeah when Rolf now we're talking years ago yeah, it's not yeah, quite yeah. in the same vein but when, when it came out that Rolf Harris was a, a pedophile yeah <laughs> I was totally taken aback. Like, what? Especially because he was like the such a part of people's childhood, you know. Yeah. yeah. Man, they really dropped the ball on that one, huh? Yeah, I know. Because then it's like you've got people, obviously we're going back and we're going to the obvious ones, but it's like... Like Jimmy Savile. Yeah. yeah. Like Kevin Bridges has a, I think it's Kevin Bridges. It's like, like how could you not tell Kevin that uh, Jimmy, Savile. Jimmy Savile was a pedo? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like listen, if, if you gave me a pen and paper and asked me to fucking draw a pedo, I'd draw a fucking pedo. There he is, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, big fucking pedo glasses, big fucking pedo teeth, you know. <laughs> that was Jimmy Savile, yeah. you know. Yeah. But then others come as a bit of a surprise. And personally, I just find it really hard to... Yeah, once, like... That's the thing we elevate art to be. Mm. And I really, I sound like a Luddite here or a Philistine. But yeah. we elevate art to be so much, so big and so important that you almost risk forget, like... That it's made by a person, yeah. What pe- the people who make it did. I suppose we elevate it because we wanted to lift, up, lift us up out of our own lives. But then you kind of realise that, like, for a lot of artists, they're just as, as broken as any of the rest of us. Possibly more, and that's why they're making the art, you know? Yeah. And I suppose the big question is, like, is there, outside of, like, you know, the written word or song, whatever, is there something that's good enough for someone to have done that you can forgive certain aspects of who they are. Like, I mean, art is art and it's great, but like, socially speaking, like work that people do or I suppose it's, it's fascinating because right now we're, you know, we're in a world where people are willing to apparently forgive a man for doing anything and leave him in power, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's gas how people are willing to turn a blind eye to so much of it because what they achieve or what they want fits with their worldview. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the age old, uh, argument that I've heard. Well, argument, right. So Malta, um, where I grew up is like so significantly conservative. Yeah. And overtly so. Yeah. And one of the things they would say, like I've bumped into people who would honestly say with straight faces, well, you know, never mind that Hitler killed 6 million Jews, but look how he like, you know, raise the minimum wage and or establish the minimum wage, and like um, how he nationalized essential services of some sorts, and how he did yeah. this, and like the list of all these things. And I go, well, none of what you tell me, yeah, can detract from the facts. Yeah, that's you know, now, that's a pretty clear example of when you can't separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it, so it's a like the, it's a case by case that I would I would argue, you know, and. You know, please tell me if you disagree, but yeah. it is a case-by-case thing in as much as there's a, there's a sliding scale of what you can tolerate, right? So yeah, yeah. you can say, like, it, sorry, let me rework, rephrase that. There's a kind of sliding scale in terms of, like, we're so quick to dismiss someone for mm. the slightest yeah. transgression, yeah. you know, or perceived transgression. Yeah, you yeah. know, people get destroyed on social media 
Ah, cancel culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm hesitant to use the term cancel yeah. culture because hate that phrase. It, yeah, there's it's most of the time they're not being cancelled. They're just yeah. being called out and being yeah, cunts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, pardon my French, but it also makes it seem like you know. And let's be honest, like you know, a good percentage of them are going to get back into like money and wealth and fame yeah. again. You know. A lot of the council hasn't cancelled anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're just... It's more like the next season's on hold. Oh, it's back, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it... So there is, you know, there is a line, though, where it's like, you know, someone's... I can't remember her name, but the, the story of the woman who, like, posted some silly comment on Twitter. Yeah. And it was seemingly, apparently, misinterpreted. Yeah. And this was just before she went on a flight. You heard about this, right? And mm. then she had the flight, and by the time she got off the plane, she'd lost her job and yeah, 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 and all that kind of thing. And I think it's kind of there is obviously a point where people where you can sort of say, look, someone's made a mistake or a, uh, an off-color joke or this whatever, yeah. and that's shouldn't detract from what they've done yeah. or made. Yeah, but well, I guess this brings to the other interesting point, which is like by which standards do these things get judged? Because by some instance, I happened to see a clip the other day on the internet from Faulty Towers, which is probably like, what, like 30 years old? Maybe more, actually? Yeah, I'd say it's, so. It was like the 70s, right? Or, no, 80s? Yes, 70s or 80s. I'm not yeah. sure. We'll, we'll have to look at... It's but like a Morris like, Minor that he's bashing with his... Yeah. The branch, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. So, but the bit that I saw was the bit that entailed him and the gentleman who plays the Spanish waiter. Yeah. Man- I Manuel, Manuel. <laughs> I was watching it now. I was like, "Oh, this is bad." Yeah, good yeah. lord, you could not air this today. Yeah, and like sometimes when Faulty Towers is aired on on some of the services, they do cut out. Because I remember recently seeing on Sky or something a couple years ago, I'm going like that seems to be different than I remembered. And I look back and they've cut out big chunks and sections of stuff that is definitely not appropriate. Um, yeah. It's like when like Friends was on TV for so long, but apparently there was only white people in New York, you know, <laughs> yeah, the vast yeah. majority of it. It's like so. W- by which standard do you judge? Because where we are now, and we we discussed this before. We said like millennials are the most progressive generation ever, and so was the one born. Like obviously, anything involving anything criminal is not okay at any yeah. point in time, and any of like you know the Me Too stuff is obviously. Not. But attitudes and comments and behavior, like. If we're talking about someone's tweet from 10 years ago mm. or something they said 20 years ago, like, where do we draw? That's the bit that fascinates me because yeah. what they did then, while it was while it was wrong, probably no one else would have been outraged then. Yeah, I mean... And I'm, we've all done stuff in the past that we're like, Jesus, I hope we never see that. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's... it's. I mean, it's difficult to draw an, a hard and fast rule that you can kind of turn to straight off the bat. Yeah. Um, I mean, if... Like, it would make sense to me if uh, broadcasters decided perhaps it was time to retire certain episodes of Faulty Towers or, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Which is not the same as it being cancelled, because you yeah. could still go and, if, like, it's not being locked away in the archives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it, so often people are quick to kind of go, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm proselytizing or, mm. you know, whatever, but so quick. People are so quick to kind of go, oh, you're um, you're shutting me down, you're silencing me, you're yeah, censoring yeah. me, you're this way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, or or you're you're trying to warp my culture, or you're kind of trying, and it's like, no, like you can still get that, or you still have a platform, or you still have your soapbox, or you still have people can still hear you. No one's come and literally, yeah, locked you in a cell, and yeah. no one's come and it, you can still get hold of Faulty Towers and watch it elsewhere. If you want to, yeah. it's just that the BBC is not going to air 
yeah, it yeah, or yeah. certain episodes anymore. Yeah. And I can understand. I can get on top. Yeah, on yeah. top of. <laughs> I can get on board with that. <laughs> on board with that. Yeah. Um, like I'd make, it, but equally, you know, if they decided to keep playing it, I, I think, an awareness of kind of the context and history, yeah. and it's like, look. But comedy is definitely one of those things that ages very quickly in terms of, you know, what is and isn't acceptable or appropriate or no longer funny, you know? Yeah, I think, I suppose it's a question of, in your comedy, are you punching down or are you mm. punching sideways or up? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you're punching down at marginalized people at any point in history. Yeah. I, it's I never don't think okay. I don't think that's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but then it's so, so difficult you might use someone from a marginalized group to make a broader point that's missed mm. and people yeah. think you're punching down and you're not, yeah. you know, but anyway, that's by the by. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like the, the hist- like to go back to your mentioning of BLM, yeah. Black Lives Matter and the statues and thing. And that, that was the big complaint is you're tearing down our history. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, history's not kept in statues. Yeah. You can still read the history. Yeah, yeah. You know, the statues serve a completely different purpose, which is to celebrate the people you're putting on a pedestal. And it also, <laughs> like, legitimizes these people who maybe should perhaps not be legitimized because by putting a statue out there, it's like, oh, this, this. I mean, look, case in point, you know, Nelson's Pillar in Dublin back in the day mm. or any any statue of Churchill who, like, if you ask English and Irish people, will, will have very different, you Very know, different, yeah. You know, I'm sure there's a statue of Oliver Cromwell somewhere in the UK. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as an Irish person... Outside you, Parliament, I think, is a Cromwell Possibly, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, you walking past that as an Irish person, it's a very different experience. And, of course it is. Of course know? it is. It's like, you can have, you can recognise, you don't need to burn the historical archives to... How, let me rephrase this again. The statue, as I said, the statue isn't... It's not like if you go remove the, the statue, suddenly everyone's going to forget the history. Yeah. Half the time, people don't know the history anyway. Yeah. Let's be honest. Like, yeah. history is an elective subject most of the time, isn't it? Like, in Ireland, you learn it up... Like, uh, no, yeah, you do it up to uh, junior cert, I think. What age is it? So, like, different <laughs> education system? 15, maybe, roughly speaking. Yeah, we are, yeah, we were the same. We did... Yeah. Oh, no. No, we had to pick it. Yeah. We had to pick history from yeah. the age of... I think it was 13 to 15, 16. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people that I went to school with, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there was, I, was, I was, took history and I learned about the French Revolution and yeah. the Italian and the German, uh, Italian unification and whatever else. And it, there's a lot of people in the same class as me who, who didn't do that and don't know yeah. where the ideas of like liberté, égalité, fraternity came from and yeah. everything. I feel, first of all, that should be kind of... Uh, a requisite kind of excuse my yeah. stomach a requisite kind of um learning at school first off um if you know that then the statues don't yeah yeah statues not serving statues should all come with disclaimers and yeah. like a bit of information on the side you know yeah should I have a guy standing each side one who's like saying oh he was you know, this is the good he didn't the guy's like ah hold on a second yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, i mean I guess to answer the question that you're kind of posing from your point, my, pers- yeah. my point of view is yeah. there is no, as I said, no steadfast rule. Yeah. Like there's going to be cases when it's like, clearly yeah. I don't care how much you gave to charity or yeah. how much you, you yeah. know, helped grannies across the street. Yeah. <laughs> if you were a sadistic rapist. Yeah. That's not know, okay. From, 
There's um, no no good that you could have done. Yeah. I would forgive it. So I'm going to tell you a story now of, of a guy, and this is this is a fascinating case of one of these. And I think I, I sent you something with this, and it's a gentleman who. It'd be interesting for people to go and look at this afterwards and examine this and see how they okay. feel. And this is a very kind of clear case of um, it. It'll almost give you a mathematical equation of how to work this out. Anyway, okay. so this guy's called Fritz Haber. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. You, well, only what you kind of showed me um, a little while back. I don't know too much about him. So. Yeah. So born in the late eighteen hundreds. Um, he was a scientist, and interestingly enough, his wife at the time was one of the first women to earn a PhD. Wow. Yeah, she was a scientist as well. And uh, anyways, Jewish-born uh, in Breslau, and came up in the time of um, pre-World War One Germany. Right. Kind of came to prominence, and at the same time that he was earning a Nobel Peace Prize for his contributions to science the American government had him listed as a war criminal. Wow. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, this is the gentleman who figured out, along with some of his colleagues, that we're heading into a food crisis. Right. Back, Just like we're doing now, and we are, we'll be by 2050. Mm-hmm. Back in the late 1800s, they're like, well, if we don't have more food, we're going to run out of food. How will we, you know? So, he basically developed nitrogen as a fertilizer. Right. Okay. Okay. So, his work directly contributed to you know, the development of the world. Like, he he saved millions from starvation, and without him, we wouldn't have a huge population because yeah. they enriched the the development of agriculture so much that it became more possible to grow more food in, in smaller plots. And, and that all sounds lovely. Here's the flip side. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> show me the dark side. Yeah, show me the dark side. So, he was uh, very, like, pro-Germany um, mm-hmm. at the time. Like, for those who aren't were like you had Germany pre-World War One, mm-hmm. the Weimar Republic, the rise of National Socialism, and then Germany in World War Two, which mm-hmm. is like, may as well be... And I say Germany there, but I know we're talking about, like, elements of Prussia and, yeah. you know, the whole Bismarck era and all that, but let's just call it Germany yeah. for the sake of it. Uh, so he signed up uh, to the army, and he was like, oh, well, like, you know, I've developed this great contribution. We have chemical scientists here, and we want to help mm-hmm. and the thing that makes nitrogen so powerful um as a fertilizer is this thing called a trivalent bond which is something that like is very difficult to break so okay help the development of explosives but then <laughs> that wasn't enough All right, i can see where you yeah, okay. yeah he came around he was like we could do this other thing and we could make this thing called gas yeah oh, and like you know you're talking about an old guard the older German kind of generals and stuff at the time who would have served in in the Boer War and stuff of that mm-hmm. they had very kind of specific notions of what war should be and gentlemen fight on the, you know mm-hmm. and they're like we don't gas you know so he decided to take it upon himself to test out this theory so in April 1915 he went to Belgium to a town called Ypres or Ypres I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah. it Got a team of guys together, and when the winds were just right, released 6,000 litres of chlorine gas across the trenches into the Allied soldiers. Who had never, ever experienced this before. This is the first time that this was used in war. Jesus. Now, I don't know how much you know about World War One. It's an interesting one, like I said, it was a transition point for the way wars were fought. Mm. But the records at the time basically said that the Allied soldiers saw this 15-foot wall of green just floating towards them. And then within a few minutes, they were literally drowning on dry land because it generates so much phlegm and mucus yeah. in your system that it kills you that way. Yeah. And it 
kill the groundwater. Like, I mean, horses died, birds fell out of the air. Like mm. for weeks afterwards, the ground became so toxic. And you've seen pictures of the, the trenches back in the day and yeah. how muddy it was. Yes. And that mud would hold the water and the water would turn green. It was yeah. just a hell on earth environment. Yeah, absolutely. But this gentleman was very happy with himself for this success and actually got uh, got promoted. Yeah, I'm sure he did. So he goes back home. He actually supposedly, we don't know how true it is, but he's supposed to have thrown a party to celebrate his success. Either way, his wife, who was, you know, conscious, conscientious woman, was incredibly angry with him and told him he'd done something terrible. Right. He didn't pay any heed to her, so she actually took her own life that night. No way. Uh, so the next day, he went back to serve again, Whoa. leaving his 13-year-old son at home, who just lost his mother. And the son found the, found the mother. So, anyways, the thing is that, like, through all this time, like, he, yeah, he rose up through the army. <laughs> I'm sitting here, yeah. like, gobsmacked. Yeah, this what? son then later immigrated to America to get away from the family legacy and ended up killing himself as well. Wow. But, anyways, the thing is that he was this, you know, Jewish-born kid who moved up through the ranks of society and started to hobnob with, like, generals and the, yeah. and the, the emperor and so forth. And after the First World War, he was so angry about, like, Germany losing the war and all the reparations, he actually tried to develop a method to generate gold from seawater to try and help them pay off their debts. That's a kind of alchemy kind of yeah. bizarreness, isn't it, really? So that's the first element. There is one little other element we touched on a minute, but basically, in a nutshell, what you're, what you're talking about is you have a gentleman who took on a premise of doing something ostensibly good and did do it. Mm-hmm. But I guess his remit was he loved Germany so much that he wanted to make sure it became powerful and strong and fed his people. So he- here's the balance. Here's the equation or the scales. Like without him, how many people have died? But because of him, how many people died? Mm-hmm. But here's the real kicker. And this is the bit you're going you're gonna to hate, but it's this real gut punch is that we can all imagine what it meant to become... Or to, to be a Jewish person as we moved into Germany in the 1930s. Yes. And as like the war engine started to build there, he was still in a position in research and with the army and stuff. And so started to see other people around him removed from the roles because of being Jewish. Yeah. With the result that he himself had to leave the country in the end because it wasn't safe for him to be there. Yeah. And like was outraged because in his mind he'd contributed so much to Germany but Mm. then the turnaround was that you know they didn't care about him and he got kicked out but the really tragic part of this gentleman's tale is that the gas that he developed yeah in the First World War that formula was taken and the trick with that gas was the German soldiers knew about it in World War I and they knew when to put out their gas masks because they had developed it with a specific smell Right. Yeah. So that if okay. the winds ever changed or that, the German soldiers who had been prepped and had their gas masks and like, the British soldiers and so forth obviously got them later, but yeah. obviously the first few times they didn't even know what this was. Yeah, of course. So they turn around the German government. And they're like, "Hey, you know that that gas that guy met? We want you to take away the smell." And that then became Zyklon B. And I don't know if you're aware of what Zyklon yes, B is. Yes, it's the gas yes. that we used. God. to exterminate in the Holocaust camps all the Jewish people. So it's like his life is like this one big great equation for which way does it go? I mean, I've, I come down pretty firmly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I kind of do too. Because yeah. <laughs> you know? I think, I mean, the, it sounds like the deciding factor to all of that is the nationalism. His, yeah. 
and the, and also his intent because like everything he seemed to do was with intent so it doesn't matter to me if he generated the greater good in, in terms sheer numbers of lives and whatever if the intent behind it was yeah it's like, well i mean it's exactly if 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 his uh invention or discovery whatever we were going to phrase it was yeah. inadvertently used as a poison then i mean that's that's no you know that's not his fault but because he then he went to the efforts yeah to call to create and all in the name of essentially i mean when you boil down a war right unless you're battling for your survival yeah right then you know any war really is you, you often fly, oftentimes the war is flown under a flag and the idea is, you know, you're championing some sort of idea. This whole for Germany and fighting for Germany and everything. Yeah. As if Germans are somehow, your country is somehow unique yeah. in its needs and desires and wants and whatever yeah. to other countries. And yet, we know, science knows, you know, we've learned, we should have learned enough by now throughout human history to know that this whole, it keeps com- I keep coming back to this, you know, Ireland for the Irish yeah, and all this yeah, kind yeah. of thing. It's like... Blank for the blank it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah, yeah. patriotism, nationalism, patriotism for the patriots. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's it's all nonsensical. It doesn't it doesn't actually mean yeah, anything yeah. unless yeah. you're advocating for a kind of wholly inbred, yeah. you know, rock in the middle of the sea that has no connection to the outside world, yeah. which we don't have. So this whole, I was prepared to build to turn this one tool, this one creation for good. I was prepared to turn it into something that would decimate anyone else that wasn't German. Yeah. Um, he was motivated by the most ludicrous, yeah. you know, mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's clearly, there's lo- there are certain ways of thinking and logic that can, uh, can help with deciding whether someone is, <sighs> I don't know if culpable is the word, because, I mean, you can then come along and say, well, he was a product of his time and... Yeah, 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 but yeah. I mean, I'm sure, everyone's a product of their time, so no one's ever guilty of anything. If that's the case, well, yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> you know, how far can he stretch that? Yeah, yeah. a product of his time, yeah. kind of nonsense. At the end of the day, you're either kind of looking to help yeah. humanity more broadly, mm-hmm. or you're as Jaron Lanier or Lanier, mm-hmm. however you pronounce his name, uh, who I mentioned in the previous episode with you, the um, Silicon Valley kind of mm-hmm. VR kind of creator kind of dude he says you know there's this empathy circle you know some people are more intent on reducing that circle yeah and it can you can reduce it to like you know your country or your immediate community or your family yeah and some people are more interested in broadening it to include humanity sure. broadly and the the environment and whatever else and we know which one of those reaps better rewards yeah. at the end of the day yeah. <laughs> um we, I think maybe we went off on, on one there, but... Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I always think of that story because um, I remember hearing it first years back and kind of didn't know more specifics of it. And it's actually a great episode by Radio Lab where they do deep dive into his life. And oh, cool. So, okay. but, yeah, Let's I'll give you a link for that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, that's a, a very clear one because there is intent. But it's like, what do we do... It's what he did is specific, and it's not really art as such. So when I say art from the artist, there I'm obviously not talking. You know, although maybe some scientists would would view. I know they probably rightly do. You know, I mean, yeah, creating something is is Isn't creation. Matter, yeah, I suppose. But I guess it's just 
if there's a, a clarity of intent, I think that's enough to deem deem it a problem. But I mean, that's you, that's the thing. It's like we're getting into old school philosophy territory, aren't mm, we? Here with like yeah. intention versus yeah. consequence and yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, I think there's kind of there's kind of a sweet spot between the sweet spot between the two, where yeah. you know sometimes your intent might not be wholly clear to you, but the consequence kind of outweighs that and yada, yada, yada. I do think, however, once again, if you're operating within a certain kind of logic, then you're almost doomed to to failure, whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. You should be judged in the harshest of lights. (laughs) (laughs) That would be my my take on it. But, you know, I'm no philosopher. I just kind of, yeah, I was just being inclined to, to make that argument. I guess it'd be interesting to see, you know, unfortunately, t- the great thing is that the Me Too happened, but the sad thing about it is that, like, it just means that this kind of activity will now be still continuing, but in a way that will be harder to report or harder to... You reckon You record. reckon it's going to go underground, like, and just because oh, of the... It, it'll still happen, but it'll be done in a more, like, controlled, or what's the right word, like, the kind of people who do this kind of stuff are not going to stop. And unfortunately, they'll just do it now, but make sure they do it in such a way that they won't be able to get caught. It'll be harder for them to be caught. See, that's like a, that's the thing I struggle with. <laughs> not the behavior. Yeah. Uh, like the rationale is like, on the one hand, you have to confront it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Knowing that it might full well, it might full well go underground or become yeah. uh, more covert. Um, but then again, if you change the dialogue enough, yeah. it might not. And, mm. you know, you, you raise kids enough to, to kind of uh, challenge, breed it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but then on the other hand, yeah, so I'm torn between, it's like the same thing as like Antifa movements on the streets and whatever. And on mm. one hand, I understand the logic of like, well, you need to confront it. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, do you just drive it underground? Yeah, yeah. You know, or get them to, you know, push them to Telegram to do their yeah. <laughs> kind of organizing rather than, you know, <laughs> Out in the public space. So that's a difficult one, yeah, for sure. But, um, I mean, you can't can't sit quiet anyway. No. No. I guess it's, for me, it's, especially with like, in in this scenario, art, like movies and music and books and stuff. If it gives you pleasure and joy, unless they've, like, shorted them actually having, being a mass murderer. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably still enjoy it, you know, and in some ways, I think you're reclaiming the art then. You're you're taking the power away from them by not allowing them to ruin it for you. That's, you that's a good way of looking at it, actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. Or at least, at least pirate and don't, and don't pay them any money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, like, I can't watch a Woody Allen or a Roman Polanski yeah. or a, well, there's a rake of them anyway. Yeah. I won't necessarily judge someone else for being able to separate, to switch that off mm. and just like, yeah, fair yeah. enough, well yeah. and good, but I'm not capable of doing that. I yeah, just, yeah. I suppose because I, like, I personally, I can't look at artists happening in a vacuum. Like, mm. I, it, 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 like, really valuable art is inherently connected to the society it's built and it's, it's come from. And, and that's the interesting thing. If you do try to, you know, make the art its own thing. Well, then where did it come from or what influenced it? And the, the reality of where it came from and the environment it's in is also the reality of who made it because they couldn't have created that message without the environment inf- affecting them. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's irritating that people like, 
irritating to me that people on a one like artists will claim well it has no significance uh, no no um kind of uh default meaning and mm. i want it to be open to interpretation and there is no author no ownership of it you own it but at the same time they're not turning down the the interviews and the yeah, yeah. you know they they're still very happy to go oh no i made it yeah 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 but i'm just not going to tell you that it necessarily has any meaning yeah and i go well to my mind, I'm like, well, you don't get to do that. You're either yeah. going to say, this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Unless you're Banksy, I guess, you know? <laughs> well, Banksy's clearly making... Well, yeah, Banksy's clearly... Banksy's yeah. making bank dough, man, as well. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Is he? Like, does he I'd get the money from that? Kinda... I'd say there must be in some way, yeah. I love that he's doing this kind of... Yeah. Once again, to use that term, covert kind of yeah. statement. But it's it, he's making a statement. Mm. And it's, he's, it's often fairly literal, isn't it? Yeah. Which... Like I said, I'm a lot out. Maybe the literal kind of. So I guess it'd be interesting to maybe hear from some of the listeners about some good examples of stuff like that, like art that they appreciate that doesn't necessarily have a tie to its its owner. You're opening a can of worms here. Ah, I know, yeah, but it would be interesting to see like people who write under pseudonyms or like yeah. make art under um, a different alias, just to have a separation between themselves and what it is. Can you still read J.K. Rowling? Can you still watch Graham Linehan or whatever his name is who did Father Ted? Yeah. You know, can you can you still enjoy their work or anyone else's without uh, while ignoring, you know, the recent controversy around them? I'd be interested to hear what people have to say about that. Jake, your only feels like a dirty one because it's just so infinite. <laughs> Sorry, isn't like not her as a person. In the dirt. <laughs> you know, just because a clear, powerful voice for so many young people yeah. is a dangerous thing if they start spouting the kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's And so many of the actors in the films have kind of... Just, Distanced uh, themselves. Distanced themselves. Yeah. It's kind of... Yeah. It's... Yeah. So I want, I, I'd really... I'm very interested here. I I know it's a very contentious yeah. subject, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we could sit here and probably read out a list of all the people who've disappointed us but we really need to probably... next time yeah, yeah. <laughs> just sit here and go oh yeah and that can't uh, ruin my childhood <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but we won't yeah <laughs> you know unless you're just George Lucas in which case you ruin people's childhood without actually doing anything wrong but yeah. just by disappointing them <laughs> yeah yeah alright so I think <laughs> on that note oh, yeah <laughs> We're going to wrap that up for today. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Mm-hmm. Links in the notes, all that crack. Get in touch, and we will catch you next week. Next week, bye. <laughs>